This episode is brought to you by Toku. If you are planning to launch a token, already have a live token, are granting employees or contractors vesting token awards, or are just trying to figure out how to take care of taxable token events for your team, from easy to use token grant award templates through tracking vesting to managing tax withholdings. Make it simple today with Toku. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. We have Lee uh, from Variant joining us once again, been on the show again. Then we have Ben Leventhal from Blackbird, uh, first time guest here. Uh, ben and Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Uh, ben, it's funny. So I was uh, talking to my wife this morning and I was like, yeah, but this guy Ben Leventhal is coming on the pod. And we started Resi and Eater. And she's like, can he get us a reservation at, at, uh, at Teresi? So I'm wondering, <laughs> my first question to you is how many times does that happen to you? <laughs> yeah, quite a lot. I mean, one way to think about my career is I've just been optimizing for access to uh, the best restaurants the whole way through. Sounds pretty fun. That sounds yeah. great. Um, well, guys, I think the, the, I want, I, I think the best place to start here is actually not with Blackbird. Um, so Ben, for, for folks who don't know, started, uh, uh, both Resi and Eater and is now, uh, recently raised, I think it was 24 million, uh, from some folks, including Lee and Variant, uh, to go build Black, uh, Blackbird, uh, to go help the restaurant industry move forward. But before getting into that, um, I'd love to just hear both of your takes on like what has happened in consumer, not even consumer crypto, but just consumer the last several years. Because when I think about, uh, like investing and uh, like what venture has allocated to B2B SaaS, like B2B SaaS all the way through. And now it's starting to be AI. Um, and Lee, you've been investing in, in consumer for a while, I think since 2015 or 2016. I'd love to, it feels like to me as this outsider that nothing really that interesting has actually happened in consumer. But I'd love to get your take on what the last several years of consumer have really looked like. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, I think one pretty prevalent point of view is that consumer consumer software, at least, has kind of reached the end of the road, like kind of the end of civilization, if you know that book, or at the end of civilization for, for consumer software startups, because we have um, a convergence of different factors. Like A, we have all of the scaled network effects companies that have reached, you know, world scale. And so they have the most powerful network effects that you could, you could have by including basically the entire world's population on them, on those platforms. And so it's really difficult for startups to be able to compete if they're building a new network. Um, and secondly, I, I think the other factor is that we also haven't gotten a new computing platform or a new medium in some time. Um, and so you could sort of trace the history of consumer startup innovation and map it against different computing platforms from the internet to then high-speed um, internet on desktop to then mobile to then broadband mobile and each of them corresponds to like a different set of new startups that were able to be successful against the incumbents and that new platform shift just hasn't happened for a while and and for a time being like these these new platform shifts happen in quick succession and sort of trained us to think oh there's like new opportunities for startups all the time because for the past um probably 20 years or so there were until, you know, now we've reached the end of the road, um, the so to speak. Yeah. And so um, I think consumer is, yeah, potentially in this kind of like stasis where if you 
look back and think about what are all the major consumer companies that we've gotten in the last decade since like 2013, um, you would be hard pressed to like think of any pure software businesses that rely on network effects. I think Snap was really the last one, Snapchat. And then we got TikTok, obviously, but TikTok is kind of an aberration where it was already sort of in existence in China and they poured a billion dollars, literally a billion dollars into user acquisition in the US to jumpstart that network. And, and that's something that a startup just can't replicate. Um, so yeah, on the pure consumer software side, um, a lot of people would say like, there's just no innovation left. Like it's all incremental. Like everything that we're seeing is really incremental. Uh, and I would pause it. And I think the reason why Ben and I are in crypto is because we think crypto is actually the new computing platform on which you could build new innovations that incumbents can't just co-opt or can't graft onto their existing networks. Um, and I think crypto, mm -hmm. we could talk about like all of the new possibilities that it offers for consumer builders and for consumer applications. Um, but yeah, I think that's where we are. We've gotten a lot of new feature innovation in the past few years in consumer software. We've gotten new features like live audio and, and new ways to connect with friends, but we haven't really, we haven't seen that feature innovation play out and actually create massive standalone businesses that have been successful. Hmm. So why don't we go there, Ben or Lee, if you want to talk about how crypto unlocks uh, new possibilities um, and the skeptic listener might say, well, you know, consumers really rooted on kind of very primitive kind of psychological kind of needs and behaviors. And, you know, why is crypto all of a sudden going to change that fundamental route, if you will. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to get both of your perspective on this new unlock, if you will. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to take a stab and then, yeah, Ben, feel free to chime in. So uh, I think like the, the fundamental new thing that we think crypto offers is ownership. It's user ownership in the digital realm. Um, you know, prior to crypto, you couldn't actually own things digitally. You could sort of semi-own things in a platform-defined way and in like a company's database. They could say like you own some number of points or whatever items in a game, but you didn't have this um, kind of neutral platform that defined property rights for every user, for every asset. And so we think that's the, that's the so what of crypto. And our thesis as a firm at Variant is that we invest in products and networks that make ownership a keystone of the user experience. So ownership as a keystone of the user experience. What does that mean? Um, that means products and networks where ownership manifests in different ways and transform the user experience and offer new experiences to users from what we've seen before. Um, the range of what that looks like can vary. On the lighter side of the spectrum, I think products like um, Twitter's profile picture feature where you can upload your NFT as a, as a profile picture and use that to sort of display your identity that's kind of lightly um, using ownership as, a, as an element of the product experience. But further on that spectrum of how deeply ownership can shape the user experience, you get to products like, um, I think you get to products like Blackbird, where your actual loyalty points, your, your loyalty card with a certain merchant with a restaurant is represented on chain. And down the line, it could be composable potentially with other applications with 
um, other merchants as well. Um, and then I think an instantiation of this idea that really helps to paint the picture um, is like entirely new social networks that are platformless that out- exist outside of the confines of any, any given closed platform where the social network itself is predicated on ownership, shared ownership. So examples of this might be like FWB, um, where all the users, all the members are token holders of FWB or other DAOs or NFT communities or tokenized communities where um, the community itself doesn't just exist on one single platform. It it sort of um, manifests in this platformless way. And so I think that is like the furthest expression of what it means for ownership to be a keystone of the user experience. Um, but in general, like, yeah, zooming out, we think that's the so what that crypto offers. And obviously the design space is super broad for translating that into an actual product. And we're really excited to see builders use ownership in a way to actually satisfy different human needs, um, mm-hmm. ranging from like delivering community and a sense of belonging through ownership to helping people earn through ownership. I think that's that's been the pillar that most products have relied on so far in crypto, helping people to speculate using ownership and, and sort of fulfill financial needs. But we think we can go far beyond that and deliver on other human needs through ownership. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think that's spot on. I, and I, I to think to take a half step back and ch- chime in a little bit on the question of kind of innovation and, and then how that sort of ties to crypto. I think to me, one observation is that uh, generally, you know, you see exciting moments of innovation happen, certainly in consumer when entrepreneurs and engineers and creative people have new toys to play with. And I think one answer to why we sort of feel like maybe there hasn't been a ton of um, innovation is that there really haven't been that many new toys to play with. And the toys that exist are these really large scale things, um, you know, like the Google app, the apparatus of Google is arguably a toy that Google has to play with and can drive tons of kind of creativity and consumer innovation, but it's at the level of Google uh, you know, similar similar dynamics at Snap, Meta, Twitter, um, et cetera. But what I think then is exciting about crypto is it is actually a new toy. Um, and it is something that changes how we think about a lot of things. Um, I think ownership is for sure central to uh, to what sort of to how we think about the evolution of, of consumer products that are powered by crypto. I think about it as ownership and I, and to me, and Lee and I have discussed this a little, I think ownership is, is a spectrum. Um, and it's important to understand what kind of ownership we're talking about in the context of any particular consumer application. In some cases, and obviously there's real headwinds in the US around this this kind of ownership, but in some cases we're talking about sort of actual equity style ownership, which is clearly problematic in a lot of ways for the foreseeable future. Uh, most notably, it's just not going to be allowed to happen in the U.S. But also ownership to me is control, empowerment, um, the ability to drive outcomes. Um, and so I think in that context, what's to come and what's happening now is super exciting because um, 
because you are sort of seeing a whole range of products emerge now where these ideas are central to the consumer experience um, and and they're driving tons and tons of excitement and growth and adoption. I mean, certainly how we think about that at Blackbird is around, you know, I think two, well, I'll say the biggest thing is ownership of your identity, um, which is like arguably sort of a little bit to the side, a skew of the kind of ownership we're talking about. If in some, you know, we're not talking about ownership of Blackbird, but but I do think it's even broader because we're saying at Blackbird, like when you tap, tap in using one of our NFC chips, you're turning over information to the restaurant. That's information you own. You know, I say this over and over again, but the idea that before Blackbird, as a consumer, you didn't own your own dining history is insanity. You can't walk into a restaurant and tell them where you've been unless you want to hand them a slip of paper. Right. So like it's clearly that's your information. It's clearly an example of of ownership. Um, and for us, part of the Blackbird uh, opportunity is shifting the dynamics and giving, in this case, consumers uh, a little bit more control and control. Um, I think, of course, obviously, as we go on, like when we talk about ownership in so, in so much as it being about control of outcomes, you know, as we see the ecosystem around Fly developing, as we see the ecosystem around the platform overall developing, the idea that it becomes open and permissionless and that a group of restaurants can can decide to come together and design their own uh, loyalty offerings or entire third party that we never saw coming decides to use Fly as a means of, of attracting customers, that's incredibly exciting. But I think um, that's the key thing. It's, it's a new toy and that's why everyone's having so much fun with it. And, and I, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll stop talking for a second is just, I, I also think you're sort of seeing some of the, some of the insight around what's happening in the crypto community. I think it's actually trickling out to other parts of the ecosystem, the sort of hmm. let's in the, for the sake of simplicity, say the sort of web two um, ecosystem of technology, because you're definitely seeing some of the sort of ideas that are fundamental to, a Web3 philosophy showing up in non-Web3 contexts. Yeah. I'm curious um, how you think about where the state of crypto is and why you decide to kind of come in now. Um, a lot of times it's been a struggle. We talk about poor user experience in terms of onboarding and ease of use. I mean, the internet had this problem too at the beginning. So like, you know, when you think about going and, building Blackbird versus maybe adding features to something like Resi that already exists. You could layer on NFTs. You have distribution already. Why kind of go through this exercise and particularly why now? I'm, I'm curious why, why you think right now is a good moment um, where still so many people are reluctant and don't want to go through key management or, you know, onboarding and jumping through a lot of hoops. Yeah. I mean, I think we know now enough about crypto to be dangerous but it's still very, very early days, which makes it exciting. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't have to make some of the mistakes that the very, very early pioneers made, you know, five and even 10 years ago, but um, it's still brand new to 99% of people who interact with it. So that makes it really exciting. Uh, yeah. I would also point out for, for Blackbird, what's really cool if you try out the experience is that there's like different levels of, um, onboarding that you can do as a user you don't 
people don't get thrown in the deep end. There's a progressive onboarding experience that they can go through that for, I think probably some users don't even realize that there's crypto under the hood. I, um, I signed up. I'm, I'm, I've got the app here. I, there's no crypto aspect. There's no. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think like for the first time ever, um, and this probably just happened in the last year or so, like infrastructure has gotten to the point where we can abstract things such that mm. crypto is really just this enabling technology. It's not the reason why people are downloading an application and trying it and using it. It is, it is an enabler, but the reason they're there is something else it's it's for the restaurant sure. it's for their loyalty t- to collect these loyalty points or whatever um and i often say like crypto in consumer crypto crypto should be the how it's not the why and i think blackbird is an example of this and and i think it's really powerful now that that is newly possible for application developers hmm. so if i'm if i'm tying together what both of you guys are saying here it sounds like Kind of where we're at today, 2023, the last seven years in consumer, there wasn't really too much that happened because we had kind of reached this like apex of the network effects and all these big social platforms already had billions of users and it was really tough to compete against them. They already were like almost maxed out their network effects and it was very, very, very tough to compete with them. Um, and now today, crypto unlocks this kind of new competition, right? Lee, I've heard you talk about new users, new computing platforms and new business models. Um, Ben, when you look at Blackbird, I mean, Santi asked that question to kind of tee this conversation up about like why crypto, but I'd love, maybe we could go a little deeper into Blackbird. Like what is the actual problem that you're solving? Maybe not for consumers right now, but actually for, for the restaurant industry. I'd be very curious to hear that. We think restaurants need a new set of identity rails. We think restaurants have Mm. no good ways of connecting with their customers and they don't know how to think about retention, acquisition, engagement, um, the sort of fundamentals of actually customer acquisition in any other business context. And it's one of the things that keeps restaurants subscale. And, and so we think this is the opportunity is to, is to think about connectivity between consumers and restaurants in an entirely new way, mm. Such that, <clears throat> such that the average consumer is connecting much more often with the average restaurant. And over time, uh, restaurants become much better at understanding who their customers are and making sure that the best ones keep coming back. Hmm. Um, that's the fundamental thing that we're doing. As, it, as we build that and it unlocks opportunities around, on and around those rails, I think it's going to be incredibly exciting. But that's how to think about fundamentally hmm. what we're doing. So why couldn't Resi build this? Like why you founded Resi, why couldn't Resi do this just with Web2 Rails? Um, I think Resi could do some of this. I think Resi actually does do a version of this. I think our observation is, you know, there's a new opportunity. You know, I've always Mm -hmm. said like the technology stack of restaurants, it has to be uh, agile and it has to be sort of customizable. So I think you're going to see lots of restaurants layering Blackbird on top of Resi. Um, you know, I think, first of all, Resi is driven, is keyed off of a reservation. So there's some limits to how reservations can ultimately sort of inform connectivity. Um, but also, you know, I think Resi's a, a larger scale company now thinking about other larger scale um, near-term opportunities. So hopefully we can work with them to help them think about, you know, connectivity and loyalty. 
So uh, we've been talking about uh, a lot of abstract stuff. Uh, let's just walk through the user experience. Like, what does a consumer see and do when they sign up for Blackbird? Is what I'm dying to know. So, by and large, the first time a consumer interacts with Blackbird, it's at a restaurant. You're going to see one of our NFC chips. You're going to tap it, and we're going to issue you a membership card at that restaurant on the fly. Um, it is an NFT. We don't make particularly a big deal of that because the consumer at that point, frankly, doesn't care. But the experience is you tap in, um, you get a membership at that restaurant, and now you're directly connected with the restaurant. You can message them through our platform. You, they know who you are. Um, and now, uh, as time goes on, you know, various things happen by, by, virtue, by, by, the, by virtue of the fact that you have this, this connection with the restaurant. Um, you're going to continue to explore restaurants. You're going to continue to tap in. And in the Blackbird consumer app, you kind of develop uh, a wallet worth of membership cards. And it then becomes incumbent upon us, Blackbird, to make sure you're surfacing and seeing the right cards at the right time so that, um, you know, discovery becomes magical, right? Like, I don't think I don't think that you as a consumer need to have an unlimited number of choices. I think as a consumer, the right way to pick a restaurant is to understand um, okay, where am I? Where are the interesting opportunities? And which restaurant wants to see me the most? Um, and so uh, that's sort of how you think, how you should think about it as a consumer. Is mm -hmm. it's, it's a platform to unlock magic as you explore the world of restaurants. Yeah. I've said uh, before, NFTs are like the perfect cookie. How do you think about privacy in this identity unlock? Yeah. A lot of people might be sensitive to that. Certain jurisdictions like Europe might be sensitive to that. So. Yeah. So um, this all comes down to how we think about architecture and how we think about what goes where, uh, what's on chain, what's not on chain, uh, where on chain is it? So we've, we think we've come up with um, a, an architecture that allows us to keep core PII uh, off chain. Um, but represent the activity of the platform down to the individual check-in on chain so that um, it can be a high, high signal, high value, high integrity data set, frankly, uh, ledger of activity, if you will, in terms of the restaurant industry. But there's no question that in order for Blackbird to be to scale, and I think this applies to any broad consumer platform, uh, PII can't be on chain. Mm -hmm. That's that's a, that is maybe a pipe dream of an earlier sort of moment in time for crypto, yeah, but there's no way that works. Mm -hmm. And walk us through the value add for the restaurants. It's this sort of becomes their CRM and some capacity, customer acquisition costs. Like what is the and what kind of receptivity have you been getting? What what kind of restaurants are onboarded now? Yeah, I you could think about it as sort of a passive CRM. Meaning it's a CRM that builds without the restaurant having to do much by way of maintaining it. You know, the way CRMs work in a restaurant right now is somebody makes a reservation. Uh, they, they show up in your, in your CRM in a resi or an open table. And then in order to sort of contextualize that guest, you have to start adding information to the, to the guest profile, right? Um, and restaurants, good restaurants tend to add things like what they like to eat or, you know, what's there spouse's name or do they like table 23 so that's all well and good in an extremely high touch hospitality context but our perspective is 
the better way to think about CRM and restaurants is to kind of do the work for the restaurant. So when we say passive, we mean that every time somebody checks in, whether that person's in your database or not, uh, and assuming they've opted into sharing, obviously, you get first name, last name, email, phone number, home zip code, and birthday, uh, and dining history, right? So you've got a ton of information right out of the gate as a restaurant to understand who that guest is. Um, that's really the core of the value prop. So that instead of this being this very, very bespoke, labor-intensive process of understanding who your guests are, we're essentially giving you that information on the fly. Um, the reception's been really great so far. It's been really exciting. You know, loyalty is a new muscle for restaurants, um, not for Starbucks, not for Sweetgreen, you know, not for P.F. Chang's, but for the average neighborhood restaurant, loyalty is a new muscle. So, you know, there's certainly been a lot of collaboration, a lot of sort of, um, a lot of a dialogue that Blackbird engaged, that has with the restaurant to make sure that the implementation goes well. Um, so we're, we're, we're very, very hands-on at this stage of our existence, existence and at this stage of um, uh, where the industry is. But And we obviously expect that to be, we expect over time restaurants to sort of pick up some of these things on their own. But, but the reception's been great. Um, and I think restaurants are really excited about what they're seeing at Unlock. Mm -hmm. Are they skeptical of, you know, getting insights into their competitors? You know, they're two pizza chains. All of a sudden you have, you see the NFT of the user. Well, you can understand if he's going to another pizza chain across the street and then there's like price wars and all this kind of stuff. Like, is that something yeah. that is possible? I mean, the answer is sometimes yes, but we tell restaurants that's an absurd thing to be worried about. You know, they're going to go to the pizza place across the street, whether you like it or not, you either win them over or you don't. Uh, and it doesn't matter. It's not going to be about who has, you know, more information on their screen. It's going to be about where's the better experience? Where does that customer get more love? And the, the loyalty point system, how, how does it actually work? Is it transferable? Is it, um, you know, or different programs? And um, so every time you, every time you engage with Blackbird as a user, as a consumer, you earn points uh, and those points become redeemable for things at restaurants. That's the sort of core, the core of it. Um, restaurants, of course, have an opportunity to configure programming so that, you know, if they want to send you a welcome cocktail on the third visit, that's also, you know, something that we support from a sort of configuration standpoint. But um, as time, as we're learning more and more, I would say our, our belief increasingly is that, you know, the, the ecosystem of points, the earn and burn dynamics of the points um, is what's going to be at the core of the um, rewards experience. And I guess last question on this is um, these points. So of course, if, if you have Starbucks, you know, that you can use the points within Starbucks. Yeah. What you're saying now is you have these Blackbird points that if you're going to other coffee shops, those points are transferable and kind of universal, which is always a drawback of web two loyalty programs is that they're very much constrained to the, 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 the partners that they decide. And now that is shifting over to the consumer and you have much more consumer preference. Yeah, I think the rest, I think, in fact, the independent restaurant industry needs the scale of the whole, the whole population of restaurants to make those points compelling, to make them actually valuable, to make them actually a, a, a currency to acquire customers. Yeah, I don't think any restaurant could do points on their own.
I want to perhaps get your thoughts on as a builder coming into the space now, what are some of the things that you've observed um, that are kind of trade-offs or current like limitations that you can't do, um, you know, for everyone that, you know, maybe an infrastructure builder might be thinking about these challenges, but you're sitting on top of more of a consumer layer, which the criticism has been, we've over-invested in infrastructure and under-invested in consumer applications. I think that might be shifting, but I'm curious uh, the challenges that you've encountered now that you're building in Web3. Um, I, I think it's the challenge. It's not challenge. I think about it as an opportunity, but the circumstance is that uh, the infrastructure is in its early, in its early days. I mean, a lot of the technology, a lot of the stack that we're building, that we're putting together in order to make Blackboard work, you know, when in a web two context, when Resi was, when Resi was being built, um, almost 10 years ago now, like the, th the things in that technology stack were like AWS and Twilio and SendGrid and really mature, big infrastructure providers. Um, now the infrastructure partners that we have are also, you know, series A stage, series B stage startups. So it's just, it's just a lot newer, you know, there's just sort of like, there's just sort of like, you know, it's a bunch of it's it's a it's a bunch of upstarts all doing the thing together, which to me is an opportunity. Like our guys at Privy, um, you know, who are who are helping us with wallet infrastructure. I talk to Henry all the time. Like he's going, you know, we're comparing notes not just on how should this thing be built, but also, you know, we're comparing notes on fundraising. We're comparing notes on you know how to think about building companies, and <laughs> and. I think that's really exciting. I think that's an opportunity. It allows us to be much closer to our infrastructure partners, to have the kinds of relationships with infrastructure partners that are, are very important and, and frankly impossible when you think about you know, some of the very large scale infrastructure components uh, in a Web2 world. This episode is brought to you by Toku. Toku makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. With Toku, you get unmatched tax and legal support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. From easy to use token grant award templates through token vesting to managing tax withholdings, Toku understands every grant structure, token purchase agreements, restricted token awards, restricted token units, token options, token appreciation rights, and even phantom tokens. Tokens. For legal, finance, and HR teams, it is a huge, complex task to have to comply with global regulations around compensating people with tokens, not to mention the payroll, tax obligations, tax reporting in every country that you employ someone. It is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly, and it is drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. Toku makes this simple for leading teams across the space, protocol labs, DIY IDX Foundation, Mina Foundation, Hedera, Gnosis, Safe, Gitcoin, and a lot more. Reach out to Toku at toku.com forward slash empire or click the link in the description. Lee, do you get more excited about investing in the front end of consumer or kind of the back end like these tools like Privy? Well, we invest in the full range of it. So Variant invests in the full stack of crypto, even, even down to low level infrastructure and, and new layer ones. So, um, yeah, all, all of it, all of everything. It, yeah. yeah. But personally, I mean, as someone who's spent my entire career in consumer startups, 
I used to be a consumer product manager before I became an investor and I was building apps in the early app store days. Um, I have a soft spot for the application layer yeah. and I think it's, yeah, it's just really fun to spend time there. Have you thought much about what, what Santi and Ben were just talking about? Like, could, could you see loyalty being this kind of quotes around this killer use case for crypto? Um, definitely. So I, I think a bit of context is like when I first met Ben, um, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had this prepared mind because 10 years ago I was working on this universal loyalty program, um, through an app that was based in Silicon Valley, a startup that I was working at called Shopkick. Shopkick was building a universal loyalty program for retailers, like physical nationwide retailers like Macy's and Best Buy. And the idea was we could unite them all under one sort of umbrella loyalty program and create a network that would be more powerful than any individual retailer. It's like, you know, the, the sum is greater than the parts sort of thing. Um, and so we introduced our own loyalty program called Kicks. We were trying to go to all of these retailers, sign partnerships, get them to adopt this program. And we had this mobile app that would track users' location and actually detect them inside of the store um, to reward them with Kicks whenever they went to a partner retailer. So this was kind of like Blackbird, but in a different industry without the crypto part in like 2013 back when location detection was not all that accurate and people's cell signals were not that good. Um, so we had a lot of obstacles, um, but you know that priming was there in my mind where I thought there was this potential to create a more universal loyalty program um, and kind of enable like users to get rewarded for their holistic behavior, not just their behavior at one particular merchant or one particular location. Um, that was one element that made me really excited when I met Blackbird. The second element um, that I had in my prepared mind was, you know, over the time that I'd been an investor, um, I started investing in consumer in 2016 at Andreessen um, and initially spent four years as a Web2 investor before I started investing in crypto. And during that entire time that I had been investing in consumer, I recognized that there were a lot of businesses, a lot of networks that should exist that couldn't really exist because of a fundamental business model challenge or challenge with scaling the network. Like the cold start problem was too difficult or kind of insurmountable unless, you know, you had a billion dollar injection from, from, um, Byte Dance or something like that. And so there were like a whole class of networks that I felt like should exist in the world. They would create a lot of value for users, but they just couldn't get off the ground because they didn't have the resources or maybe they didn't have the right business model to make that network work at scale. Mm -hmm. And one class of these networks I always thought was local networks, like local local discovery, local social networks, anything that needed hyper-local density in order for this network to actually have utility for users. And local networks are notoriously difficult to start because you need so much density for this thing to have any value. And so you need to do user acquisition, but very targeted, and you need to basically blanket you know, a certain density um, in order to, to jumpstart this app. Um, and it was just really capital intensive to do that. And then once you did manage to maybe scale a local network, like for instance, Foursquare, then the business model incentives you had at scale kind of diverged with your user interests. 
where the use the, the business model was usually based on advertising and the merchants that are able to spend a lot of budget on ads advertising are not really the merchants that you want to discover as a user. So, um, like all of these problems were kind of swirling in my mind. And I was thinking about like, how could crypto be leveraged to solve this issue of jumpstarting and, and monetizing a local network in a different way. Um, and so anyways, all of those factors combined made me really interested in Blackbird. Mm -hmm. And I've also forgotten your initial question that led me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, I, I, I want to, you know, some of our listeners are not at crypto natives and are skeptics. So I want to play devil's advocate here. Like why might not, why, why might this not work? Oftentimes everyone thinks that we should decentralize everything. And the reality is there's very few use cases that should be decentralized, like transferring large sums of money and custodying a non-sovereign store value is highly valuable. Um, but consumer, I've always felt like in 2017 said, let's decentralize Airbnb and Uber. And the reality is, well, that doesn't, so far, it's kind of nice to have a centralized entity that you can call customer support if things go wrong. And, you know, we get excited about this technology, um, but I think in consumer, not all things probably should be in a web, like uh, at least now or ever. So um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just kind of curious to get that take and, like Resi could do this, right? You and, and the user, because what you're saying is the user acquisition right now, people might not even care that they're using crypto. And Resi is like a independent layer hovering above all these restaurants. It is kind of a, you're trusting Resi in the same way that you're trusting block producers to like settle your data and store it. It's still a trust assumption. So at the end of the day, a skeptic might say, I don't really understand why this needs to be in Web3. Like just go home, you know, just pack up your shit and go. <laughs> you sound like somebody who should work at a very, very large company. Oh, well, I've been a crypto native since 2012, but I, I just, I can hold two different conflicting thoughts in mind. Like, I'm, I'm just a skeptic or playing that role in this podcast, I guess. Well, my rebuttal, <laughs> we're both ready to jump down, Santi's there. <laughs> Let's go, you know. <clears throat> my rebuttal to that is like, note that when I said what interests me about crypto and its intersection with consumer, I didn't say decentralization. I said ownership, which is a different thing. And well, ownership I think decentralization, decentralization. decentralization is important at the base layer to enable that ownership to even have value for people to view what they're owning as legitimate. Mm -hmm. But at the application layer, I don't think that the value proposition is decentralization of governance or control or things like that. I think it's ownership. It's digital ownership, meaning ownership of assets that are valuable to the user. Um, so that's my response. I'll just you pause could, there. I think I had another thought, but I forgot. Well, ben, ben, I think, wants to say something, but you <laughs> could own... Ben's big smile coming yeah, through. <laughs> ben, I want to hand it over to you because you could own, I guess, I guess people... What I'm trying to say is you, users are not perhaps very sophisticated on understanding this nuance of what ownership means. Look, I have um, an answer for you that might not be very satisfying, but I think, you know... The idea of entrepreneurship is you do things that other people could do, but you execute better and you 
and think about things more creatively and you sort of find ways to create magical products. That's what happens when, when, when startups are successful, that's sort of what you're seeing ultimately. And so uh, a lot of companies could do this. Toast could do this. They've tried. Uh, Resi could do this. Open Table could do this. Um, uh, you know, it's about a particular feel for the opportunity and either we'll get it right or we won't, you know? Um, but I don't think, I don't think your question is with respect to particularly good one, because I think you always are sort of looking at when you're looking at, when you're staring at an innovation opportunity, there's always going to be incumbents who could be doing it. Um, but it turns out they don't, you know, and it turns out, um, maybe we out execute them. You know, I think there's no question that there is a very high degree of difficulty to what we're doing. That's the nature of, um, that's the nature of the, of, of a startup. Um, we have to out execute everyone. We have to out execute our upstart competitors. We have to out execute Resi. We have to out execute Toast. But um, but we see a path, and that's why we're here. Um, and I think that there is a tailwind provided by Web three and crypto. Some of it is an infrastructure tailwind, in so much as some of these things are cheaper to build and will go faster thanks to the blockchain, like the various you know, ledgering services that we need to make this work. Some of it is about empowering consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it about is just, I think, to go back to something we started with, just the excitement of something new. Um, and, you know, we'll see, we'll find out. Do those things add up to, um, to success or are we ultimately going to be, you know, some really good thought starters, thought starter sort of fodder for larger companies to figure out some mm -hmm. of this stuff? Time will tell. How much um, is payments a part of the thesis here, which is you could use a stable coin and, and that is frictionless, like even just splitting the bill, like certain solutions that are high friction points to check out. And if you roll it in. We're very, very bullish on what, um, what opportunities we have in payments for sure. Hmm. Can, we, can we talk about the fly token? Ben, can you walk us through that decision? And Lee, I also want to, I don't know if you're, you, you're able to share the progressive ownership piece that hasn't dropped yet, but maybe we can tie these two conversations together. Um, what would, what should we talk about specifically on fly? You guys didn't have to do a token. You didn't have to do like fly token. Um, I'd be curious like why you're doing a token and then also just um, like how you think about, I don't know, doing a token in the right way. Cause a lot of people have done it. I'd say in the not right way. We talk about tokenomics and doing it the right way on a literally a daily basis. It is mm. uh, very hard and, and, and we obviously believe it's very, very important to get it right. Um, I think that the real answer, to be honest, is that it future proofs what we're doing. Um, I think that in this regulatory environment, Fly looks a lot like good old fashioned loyalty points. Um, and we'll have to see how that works as time goes on. But I think at a minimum, what we are going to be able to do with it is open it up and make it permissionless and make it so that anyone can come in and use it. Um, it's, it's incumbent upon us to create a ton of utility and a ton of value uh, in the fly ecosystem. And that involves us being thoughtful about, you know, redemption and, and sort of spending power on platform and third party partners we bring into the ecosystem. Um, but once we do those things and it's valuable, you know, it's, it's, 
if you want to go and use MR point, MXMR points uh, as a way of driving consumer behavior, you got to go and make a deal with Amex. You got to go buy those yeah. points. You got to go buy 5 billion points from Amex. You get your Delta Airlines and you got to go buy 5 billion points, right? So we are very excited about a future state of fly where you can just do that. You can buy the points um, on some version of an open market and you can set up your own program. Um, you know, we're also going to explore over time what ownership means in the context of fly, what controls, what levers, um, does it make sense for us to, uh, essentially turn over to token holders? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think one, one sort of characteristic of the crypto ecosystem, frankly, is, um, I think a lot of, a lot of crypto natives, tend to be focused on the sort of here and now opportunity. Like it's all about like, you know, we have people who are harvesting fly to get the absolute maximum number of fly points because they're waiting for our ICO. That ICO ain't coming anytime soon, right? (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, we got to be on a little bit of a long, we're on a longer road here then maybe, you know, some of the, some of the net previous generation of token projects were, um, but that's how we're thinking about it. I mean, we, we're going to be very patient. We're focusing on utility and value and it's a token because it future proofs the project. Will you be able to take on, fly on the platform? Yeah, I was going to ask that. Um, the answer is someday. Yes. Uh, but also but to, not any day soon. T- today, the only, the only, you can only earn the token. Actually, we're burning. We're in uh, a very early stage test for burning points. You can redeem points at uh, if you're in New York at Anton's and at uh, Nats on Bank. You can redeem points for desserts and drinks. Okay, so it's a sort of a closed we're economy. Opening that up to to another ten or so restaurants. Uh, so it's a closed economy because uh, the challenge uh, a lot of projects have stumbled upon is um, like stripping or trying to push away the speculative use cases of, of a token where you might yeah. prop up the the price of fly might just go up the wazoo and then that really hurts the consumer experience yeah. but sounds like that's not an issue for you guys because it's closed it's closed for the time being you know we're discussing you know opening it up and making it tradable uh you know do we basically dock you half of your fly if you if you take it out into the open market. You know, do we, is there, is there a model where we can create the right sort of balance of incentives and disincentives Mm -hmm. to make sure that the price stays where we need it to, but we're in, we're, you know, I'm, I want, we are, we want to be very transparent about how this is developing. Mm -hmm. These are, these are the daily conversations here and we haven't made any decisions about what it's going to look like. Yeah. I guess before we transition in your choice of building on base, um, on this point alone, when you think about ownership and the, is it, uh, is the NFT, like I'm trying to think of the attack vectors because crypto is a very adversarial environment. Anything that could be gained, there's constantly people that are trying to, you know, out with, smart you, if you will. And uh, could you transfer the NFT to other people? Um, is it non-transferable? And how do you think about kind of potentially this attack vector where people might? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've said this publicly yet, but our plan on this around this question is uh, you're going to have two Blackbird wallets. You're going to have a wallet uh, for your NFTs and you're not going to have much control about 
what goes in and out of that wallet. We're going to sort of run that for you. And the smart contract is not going to allow you to take those out of the Blackbird ecosystem. And then things like Fly uh, and perhaps someday a stable coin will be in a separate wallet where you have a lot more control. Um, So those NFTs, uh, I hate to disappoint some people who are excited about trading them. Uh, Those NFTs for the foreseeable future are, are going to be pretty locked. We don't think, I guess we don't think there's two things. One is uh, we think the PII problems there are way, way, way too um, substantial to sort of make those things tradable. And two is we don't think restaurants are there in terms of identities being tradable. Hmm. This is something that Lee and I have talked about several times because in a, in a, I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Lee, but I think in a, in a sort of pure, in a pure web three sense, there is, there is a, case to be made for making them transferable. But um, for us so far, practically speaking, we don't, we don't see a path. Lee, what do you think? You also agree? Um, Yeah, I actually have come to sort of agree with that approach. Yeah, I I, I think illiquidity can be a feature, not a bug. Yeah. So yeah, arguably a lot of the negative outcomes we've seen in the past few years in terms of applications that temporarily had product market fit, or at least temporarily grew a lot and then crashed subsequently, were due to having too much liquidity in the system. So I actually think constraining that can be really healthy. Ben, do you you think of Blackbird as more of a restaurant app or a check-in app? where you can get rewards. Like I could, I could see you checking in at hotels or gyms or salons or music festivals or your favorite artists. Like how, how do you, how do you think about the Blackbird in three or five or seven years from now? Um, we're focusing on restaurants for now, for sure. I think the vertical focus makes a lot of sense for us, but who knows, you know, I mean, it, certainly if we get this right and uh, we figure it out in our restaurants, there's a ton of other categories we can go and explore. Yeah. Awesome. Um, maybe we can wrap with one last question for you, Lee, which is uh, you kind of, you and Variant kind of planted your flag in the consumer crypto thesis um, and have been at that for, for a couple of years. I'd say there's a lot of skepticism in the consumer crypto area right now, but it's start, you're starting to see the friend tech or Blackbird and starting to see these small things kind of pop up. Um, what are you most optimistic about in consumer crypto as we look into 2024? I don't think people have been skeptical about consumer crypto. I think if anything, it's been the opposite where people are really optimistic about it and keep hoping and waiting for something to work and really want it to succeed. Because ultimately, I think everyone in crypto acknowledges that we need applications to actually be successful or for any of this to take off. Um, so that sort of addresses the the framing of that question. But to your actual question itself, um, what am I excited about? I'm really excited about builders just treating crypto as the enabling technology and not the primary reason for someone to use something. So going back to that phrase of crypto should be the how, it's not the why. Um, I'm really yeah, I, I would be really excited to meet more founders building with that philosophy in mind, treating crypto as the how, not treating it as the why, and using crypto to improve on certain categories or use cases where there is a real real human need beyond speculation. Um, 
So yeah, that's, cool. I think, uh, sufficiently high level as to uh, encompass everything. <laughs> well, the, the, the beauty about this is that you, you can, you can only farm so much, right? Cause you can only go to so many restaurants. I mean, you could overeat, but that's not going to happen. So <laughs> unlike yield farming, there's a there's human a limitation. <laughs> yeah. One would hope. You'd be surprised. Uh, <laughs> You'd be surprised how many right, restaurants well maybe, uh, Actually, maybe as, as we wrap up, Ben, what's like the craziest thing that you saw on Resi, whether it's like from a user perspective, from restaurants? Like, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. I'll give you two. Uh, one is just how, well, it's all about people, how emotional people are about restaurants. You just can't, you don't, you can't underestimate how deeply people mm -hmm. feel about restaurants, both in terms of how they're treated and in terms of access. The, 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 the number one, <laughs> this is a, like a faint like inside of Resi. We, there's, it's no longer, um, open cause I think they've changed it, but the Tiffany blue box cafe, um, on 57th street was a pretty early resi customer. And every day they released their tables. I think it was at noon and this was before the restaurant bots that, that are now running things took over. Um, people, they would release their tables and like at 1201, the emails would start coming from people <laughs> who did not get a table at the blue box cafe. <laughs> And they were so angry, I mean, <laughs> just beside themselves with like anger and sadness and confusion. Like, how can you not be letting me into the blue box cafe? <laughs> I mean, we never, we had never seen anything like did, that. Did you ever think about making it a market? Because so I brought up Teresi at the very top of this. Like I, it's actually real. Like we have friends coming in from Chicago. They want to eat either Teresi or Carbone. And they're yeah. like, can we just buy a reservation or something? So I found this app called Appointment Trader. I'm pretty sure it's a yeah. scam. Um, but like, I was thinking like, why doesn't Resi just have a native marketplace where I could, someone could sell me the reservation for a couple hundred bucks or something. Do you ever well, think about doing that? You know, in terms of the history of Resi, this is Resi 1.0. We were mm -hmm. just, we were selling premium reservations. I didn't know that. And um, you, you probably didn't know because it didn't last that long. It wasn't. It, it wasn't palatable in in 2015, 2014 when we when we first started doing it. But um, at times, have certainly changed. I mean, you know, now Appointment Trader. There's a whole slew, slew of these apps. Um, and by the way, to the sort of earlier question about why doesn't Resi do this? This is exactly the kind of thing that Resi's thinking about doing now. You know, like this is this is what Resi's focused on, like really nailing. Mm -hmm. um, how reservations should work. And I, I actually think, um, you know, I'm, I'm no longer involved except as kind of a cheerleader and occasional advisor, but I absolutely think Resi should be thinking about this, should be creating this marketplace because then at least it's a first party and the restaurants can, you know, benefit from the sales. All of the, all of the selling that's happening now is happening in sort of a gray market where, you know, yeah. scalpers are, are, are sort of roaming around. Um, but there's an appetite for it. No question about it. I don't know that there's that many restaurants really where it works. I think that that's sort of the limiting factor 
terms of the business opportunity. I just don't think there's that many restaurants in the world that have the kind of scarcity to command a real premium yeah. for reservations. But, you know, for the like half a percent of all restaurants where there is, why not? Yeah. There's this like, I'd almost call it a violent market for these, for Res- <laughs> like, I think, I think Dorcia is playing off that too, or I saw another one called ResX pop up, but yeah, I think it's a, I think there's something there. So people feel very, very strongly that yeah. they should be allowed to go wherever they want to go. Yeah. Well, this is a great chat. I would recommend folks, uh, what is it? Blackbird.xyz. Um, I think you can also, can you just go to the app store and download the app as you well? You can certainly go to the app store. Yeah. Just, yeah. just search Blackbird. Cool. Folks should check it out. Lee, uh, Ben, thank you guys both so much. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys.